You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. As I was coming back, the Lord was speaking to me, and I turned to the Beatitudes, and I want us to start this. The name of this message is Blessed, and it comes from Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and um, I'll start by asking you uh, a simple question. You know, how many of you, how many of you want to be blessed? That yeah, we want to live a life that's blessed. That's, that's what God said. He said He would bless us, and He does want to bless us. Now, Jesus was an example. Jesus came as a template for us all to follow. He shows us character. He shows us kindness. He shows us all the attributes all the qualities of what we are supposed to be as God's creation. And he was a man. He took the form of a man. He became a man and lived the life in front of us to demonstrate how we should live. And he taught these principles. And we begin looking at this in, in, in the beginning of this first verse of the, of the chapter, verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now it goes on, this is where Jesus was taking his disciples apart to teach them principles. We know for three and a half years, as long as he was with them, he was programming them with another way of living. Because we naturally have the way that we live. This world teaches us how to treat one another. It, we have business arrangements. We have uh, people will say things like, well, you know, it's not personal, it's business as an excuse to treat people in certain ways or not treat them in certain ways. But Jesus was teaching another code, uh, another set of ethics, and demonstrating them. We know that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is actually a description of the personality of Jesus. So his personality is those things that we see, but I never really caught before that the list of what we call the Beatitudes is pretty much in harmony with the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus is telling us that if we live these principles in our character, if our ethics are based on the Beatitudes, there are rewards that we receive from Him that say, because we do so, we are blessed. So blessings come, yes, from God's grace. Uh, he blesses us because He loves us. Uh, the Father so loved the world, He sent His own Son. That's a blessing. You don't bless more than that. But in our life, if we want a quality of life in Christ, the blessings under which we can live come from decisions that we make as we follow Christ by copying His personality, by yielding to the force of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit through us, that's the fruit of the Spirit. But these, these things where the fruit of the Spirit is a supernaturally manifested thing we just yield to, the Beatitudes show us character that we must cultivate. And that we have an obligation to change the way that we are so that we can match the way that He was and is and demonstrated to us. So in training His disciples, He takes them aside and explains to them, look, if you want to be blessed, this is what you need to do because the guy who does this is blessed like this. So in each of these eight things, we're going to see eight areas of blessings in life Developing the character of Christ. Amen? How many of you want to develop that character to be like Jesus? 
me pray. Father, I'm so grateful that your word is life. Your word is power. Your word is healing. Your word is a redirector of our existence. Your word is a compass for us to orient ourselves. Uh, your word shows us all the teachings that you gave in cooperation with the Holy Spirit that will bring all of your words, Jesus, back to our minds and tell us. As we look over these Beatitudes, I pray that there would be a corresponding anointing to cause us to make clear choices, to develop our character, to be like that of Christ. So help us, Lord, anoint this time, anoint this teaching. Give me strength in my exhaustion. If you say you are strong when we are weak, and in our weakness you are strong, then this should be a pretty strong message because I'm very weak. So Lord, bless me, hold me up, and help me able to help us all to be blessed tonight. Uh, we ask in agreement together in Jesus' name, and we say, Amen. Let's start with number one, humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the reward here is the kingdom of heaven itself. Poor in spirit means to be crouched down, literally, like a beggar. Uh, in Mexico, being it's a third world country, everywhere you go, uh, like you see in Indonesia and some other countries in India, you will always see people begging. And the way they beg is varied, but usually they are crouched down, you know, like literally bent, how, why are they doing that? They are in deference to you, they're looking from a perspective of humility. And they do this by either crouching down or may even get down the most extreme cases of someone that is humble or humbling themselves to you, actually get on their knees before you, plead with you, like the lower they get, the, the more they are humbling themselves. I picture Jacob when approaching the confrontation with his brother Esau from whom he had stolen the birthright and had been estranged for years. Now he's coming. Remember, it says that he bowed down laying flat on the ground three times again and again. He, he could not get any lower because he was approaching in humility. Now, Jesus showed us this. He showed us that someone who can be humble Someone who can bow down to other people. The Bible says to esteem others as superior to yourself. This kind of humility will cause the kingdom of heaven to become yours. So poor in spirit meaning to crouch down humility. And it actually means in an open way. In an obvious way. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus had great power. He taught with authority. But he was actually very humble. Uh, in fact, his humility came from what he left behind. He left behind his divinity and in essence crouched down as low as he could to become a servant and crouched down even further by washing the feet of his disciples to show us what he would do. And this is a challenge sometimes. This past couple of weeks I was greatly challenged concerning my degree of humility because there was so much honor given to me. And in that area, you know, I'm, I'm greatly respected and honored. I'm the great man of God, the apostle. The apostle, like if I move, the people are like, well, the apostle needs something. It's, it gets kind of tiring, like, all right, all right, gosh, give me my apostolic towel and I'll go rest, you know, just. But they kept honoring and loving you. It's easy for you to yield to that unless you are constantly trying to develop and live a character that is humble. And that is a choice we make. 
Uh, I find that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, then His exaltation comes. But if we walk in pride, then it's just the opposite. We could reverse this, you know, not blessed is the one that is not poor in spirit, and theirs will not be the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's scary. But the Bible consistently speaks about that. The proud he sees from a distance, but to the humble he comes close. So he attends to the ones that walk like poor in spirit, that are seeing other people's spirit. I had to exercise this while I was there and work was being done. I joined the work, whereby I was challenged by people who had developed a mindset about me that I, you, the apostle can't do that, uh, like setting up chairs, sweeping, cleaning, picking up dishes, you know, the things that I do. It's just part of what I do. I do not just sit there and let them serve me. I do what I can to help. And there were quite a few times that I was told, no, Apostle, no, you, you shouldn't do that. We, we'll take care of this. Whereby I said, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. Remember what Jesus told Peter. Peter says, it won't be so. I, I won't let you wash my feet. He said, well, you know, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Whereby Peter said, well, wash my whole body. You know, bathe me from head to toe. Because he wanted to yield to the blessings of Christ. He just was misunderstanding. And that's the thing about ministry. Really, ministry is no place for pride. Uh, a ministry that is built on pride is a ministry that will actually move away from the anointing of God. I find that humility always draws the Spirit. The anointing is what? It's the manifestation of God's power which comes from heaven or the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven means the realm of spirit in eternity, both here and now, and there and then. Here and now, in the blessings that we have from our humility, what it creates here, because God backs us up, and also there and then, in eternity, the rewards that we will get for having deferred to other people. So that's a primary characteristic of Jesus. The second one, number two, we see compassion. It says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now here, this mourning means to have compassion for or feel sad and express that sadness. Uh, it's easy for us to not be moved by somebody's problems. Sometimes, you know, they tell us their problems and our response is, you know, well, everybody's got problems or, yeah, I have more problems than you. And that is a lack of mourning for someone. Well, really, if we develop the character of Christ, Jesus was always concerned about people. He was moved with compassion very often, and that was by the Spirit. But I find to be moved with compassion, you must yield to that compassion, like all things in the kingdom. And so to mourn means I see your problems, I don't just ignore them, but it hurts me. I feel sorry for you, and I do something to help you. If I do that, then I will be comforted. Meaning the time that I will go into some type of trial or problem in my life, He, the Master, because of the seeds of compassion I've sown, will come and show me compassion and bless me. So mourning means allowing your emotions to cause your compassion to rise for the people that surround you. To be, to be worried and concerned about people. And I am. I'm worried and concerned about people. Uh, it's very hard for me to walk by somebody asking for money and not give it. I always try to do so. I know it doesn't always help people, but I, I was confronted with several people. 
I had to do something. There's this little little old lady right here in Singapore near the kitchen, near Seoul Kitchen, that always sits there and she sets up her vegetables and her fruit and she sells them. I never understand what she's saying. She just makes like uh, little chirpy sounds and, and I don't know and I just take some bananas or something and um, I just pretend that a banana is $4. You know, it's just, it's just a way that I can buy the banana and just put some money down because I do admire the way that she's at least doing something. But that, that, I, that, I mourn when I see someone in need and I want to do something about it. And I think that is the nature of Christ. Instead of just turning to death ear, he, he who turns their back on the poor, it says the Lord, the Lord will hold it to their account, it says in Proverbs. And he's looking for us to be like Jesus. And Jesus was moved with compassion frequently. And therefore, if we do this, we sow seeds of compassion, we will reap a harvest of compassion. So comforted means consoled by God himself and man's love. So God, because that's how God will manifest. He will cause people, He will move people's hearts for you when you're in need if you allowed yourself to be moved with other people's needs. And that is a hallmark of the character of Christ. First, that humility. Second, that compassion that we see. Uh, the next one, number three, is an issue of control. This is a control of you. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's interesting because the first one said that the kingdom of heaven would be ours. So that's talking about a spiritual blessing. This is talking about the physical prosperity of earth. And how can you get rich? How can you get the things of this world given to you? Well, this is the characteristic that Christ teaches us by being meek. And to understand what meekness is, you know, Moses was considered to be the meekest man that ever lived. Meek means to be far more dependent on the influence of God than on yourself. Like, the opposite of meekness would be self-confidence and, and an exertion of self. You, you believe in yourself, you trust yourself, instead of deferring all the time to Christ. Meekness is although you can do things, uh, although you have strength, your strength is under control. And you share. You might. It's like a man that is very strong can pick up heavy objects and move them. Uh, a man that is strong but meek will not do that. He will allow other people to participate in the carrying of that object for the camaraderie of it, to form unity. He can do a thing, but he don't. It's like someone who is in church development and growth. You let other people do things even though you can do it better. But you let them do it because it's not going to be advantageous for people if you do everything all the time. And that's a form of, of meekness. Strength under control, and then you'll inherit... The earth, which means when God sees you doing this, uh, dependent upon Him, He manifests His blessings and you will inherit the things of the natural, physical world. He'll begin to give you resources and bless you. And Jesus had this characteristic of meekness beyond any of us. The greatest picture of meekness is someone who was God, taking that God nature and emptying Himself of it, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. He was God, but he did not see it as something that he would hold on to. In fact, he let his divinity go and he did not use it. So much so, even when he needed it, he didn't use it. Because he was submitting to a higher plan or order, which was of the Father. At any moment, he could have called a legion of angels, it says. He says at any moment, he could have called them to help him, but he did not. And Satan actually 
one of the temptations was to get him to step out of his meekness and become dependent upon who he inherently was. And Jesus refused to do it. And so it is for us. We learn to trust the Lord above ourselves and we walk in meekness. And just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. Uh, meek means to be far more dependent on the influences of God's Spirit in life than your abilities. And this is exactly what Jesus showed us. Uh, if I were Jesus, man, I would have really wrestled with that. Knowing I could do a genie in the bottle, blink my eye thing, and be from point A to point B instantly. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think I probably would have abused if, if I were Jesus, you know, because he could have done that. You know, at any, any moment, he could have just, a wave of a hand, just like killed everybody, you know, any, any enemy. He, well, he could have done it, but in fact, he didn't because he laid all that aside. There were moments where, where he, he couldn't quite retain the power he had. Uh, when they came to take him in the garden and they asked, you know, if he was Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. And they all fell backwards. Just the power of the words of him declaring who he was wiped them out. And he probably thought, oops, like, you know, like, I better pull it back a little bit, dial it down a little because at any time, he, could, he, he walked through the crowd when they wanted to throw him off the cliff. How did he do that? Just enough of the power to get the job done, to do what had to be done without being showy. It's actually, uh, meekness is, uh, is akin to humility, but it's not the same thing. We go to the next one. <clears throat> Number four in verse six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, I, I put this in the category of just goodness because it's a choice to do the right thing, whether you like it or not. It's a choice to see righteousness carried out. Uh, there are two dimensions of righteousness in the Bible mentioned. There is a righteousness of our works, our functionality, the things that we do. Uh, we, are, we, we make the... We make good choices. In other words, we treat people well. But that is not a supernatural righteousness. It's just you living a righteous life. Uh, like, uh, like Noah. It says Noah was a righteous man because he, he was just kind to people, the things that he did. But there's another kind of righteousness, which is the righteous gift given, like Abraham experienced when he believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. So our hunger and thirst for the purity or the righteousness that God gives us is one thing, but our choices in life to do good. And that's what the Bible says. Paul recommended that we do, we do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, or Peter said it, one of the others. Um, the Bible says, I'm put it that way. The Bible says, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. That doing good, that gives you a reputation as a person that does well, that is you hungering and thirsting for a righteous life, and if you do that, you will be filled whenever you need the righteousness of God. I find if we do the, the, the righteousness that is within our control, that, and we believe in Him, then His righteousness that we cannot control, such as the purification of sin, that comes as a gift. And He blesses us, and we are filled with Him as we live in that kind of righteousness. So, number five. It says, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. But this is a, a picture of reciprocity and how it works, which you sow, you will reap. If you sow mercy, you will receive mercy. It says, judge not, lest you be judged. Whatever measure you mete out will be judged back to you again. Exactly 
how you treat someone, it will be done to you. So Jesus recommended highly that you do to others as you would have them do to you. does not mean they will instantly reciprocate and do that, but that's, that's really not your business. You just need to do to other people as you would have them do to you and grant mercy. A person who is merciful, it means that they are always granting mercy even when not solicited. You understand? There was a time when I thought mercy could only be given when someone asks for mercy. They come have mercy on me. But actually, no, you can become so proficient at being merciful that even if they never ask you, you begin to understand. It really comes from a maturity in Christ and understanding the basic nature of man as corrupt. And you know that it's just the way they are. They, we are hardwired to be hateful. Man is hardwired to hurt and to be hateful and to be selfish. And one who has not yet been transformed by God naturally just by instinct and even one that has been transformed by God seems to have periodic relapses into their old self. Um, I've seen this a lot when, when they come under pressure. It's amazing how holy we can be, how good we can be, how righteous and merciful and loving we can be when the pressure's not on. But something happens. I know because I've taken people on the mission field before, and it's funny, you know, in the, in the comfortable church where we were planning the mission trip, they were the holiest people you ever met. I mean, just great brothers and sisters and Lord. But get them out where there's no water and it's 43 degrees and the pressure's on and the bus breaks down in the desert and they become other people. I mean, really become totally different because that pressure brings out of them. It shows the flaws in their character. Whereas if, if you've been through enough, like even on this trip, people had not known me we're apologizing for some third world natural things. That, like in the third world, just timings don't work. Things are late. They don't, you know, it's just the way it is. They just, not because of choice even, but because the system is a bit archaic. And it's kind of like in India, Indonesia, Malaysia's like that in some regards. And Mexico's like, and they would be saying, I hope, like, they give me a humble place to stay. Oh, Apostle, I hope this is all right. I said, look, this is a luxury condominium. I, I've slept on cement floors for six weeks straight before. Believe me, this is this is very nice. And that's the good thing about experiences in life. It teaches you, tempers you, changes you. It's good to be exposed uh, to little. So that way, everything you have is a lot. And one of the axioms by which I live, I only have about a dozen or so of them I think I live by constantly. One of them states that... Um, Expect the worst, and everything is a blessing. So you're always expecting everything. Always keep that that um, optimistic perspective. Of, well, it could be worse. Instead of seeing the glass half empty, see it's half full. At least we have half a glass. Instead of hey, we're missing half a glass. No, always think it could be a lot worse than this. And remembering what's cool is, by the time you get in enough experience doing what I do. You have stories of something far worse. And you tell those stories to people who are freaking out in the moment. They're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? The bus is broken down. You think you'll fix it? You think you'll repair it? I'm just like, relax, relax. 
Like, I remember, and I tell the war stories of, you know, when, I remember when a wheel fell off a bus we were on and it leaned completely on one side. And I mean, I tell these stories like, oh, and suddenly their situation is pretty good. Because life does that. We go through it. Now it's like this with mercy. Once you learn that man is what man is, then you become like Jesus. Jesus, once again, all these characteristics Jesus had in 100% capacity. His mercy is you could not see. And I thought about this today when I was sharing this message with the Chinese congregation, that there's no unmerciful moments visible in the life of Christ. I started thinking about this. Not one time you see him without mercy. Always mercy. However, you can find in the life of all the prophets, all the patriarchs, and even the New Testament characters, you can find a great lack of mercy pretty frequently. We just covered not long back John, the loving disciple that Jesus loved, his lack of mercy toward the man that was casting out demons. And Jesus rebuked him for that. We see Peter um, lacking mercy. How many times do I have to forgive? Seven times. You know, we see them all in a process learning how to be like Jesus. But Jesus had absolute mercy at all times. And I'm so glad that He does. As He plants a seed of mercy in me, if I am fallow ground, fertile and productive, it will have a harvest of mercy coming out of me. So that no matter what someone does to me, I'm going to love them. I will be able to say, as he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even when they're nailing me to a cross, figuratively speaking, of course, or literally, I hope never literally they nail me to a cross, but figuratively, if they do something that hurts me, Father, please forgive them. And it's not always an easy lesson to learn. And in fact, when you learn it, God graduates you to the next level of learning and he causes something worse to happen that requires you to dig even deeper to find that mercy. You feel pretty good about your mercifulness. Then he graduates you to another level. And it never ends. It gets harder and harder and harder. And people do you more and more harm all because of God. He's never going to let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. He always gives you a way of escape. But he does orchestrate situations to see Will you be like him? Because we have not yet resisted unto blood, the Bible says. Uh, we've not been nailed. I don't know if anybody been nailed to a cross here. Raise your hand. If, if, if I want to see the scar. We've not been nailed to a cross. But that would be the greatest test. If physically tortured, um, taken captive by you know, Islamic extremists, and being tortured or beaten... Could we, in that moment, manifest mercy toward them? I don't know. I do know this. That if I consider one day I'm going to have to pick up a great deal of weight and carry it, that I can prepare myself over months and even years to increment my strength through training. Can you not? You can go to the gym and try to deadlift a certain amount of weight and there's no way you can lift it. Yet you can. You just need to train your body up to that level of strength. And it won't take long. You'd be surprised how strong your body can get in how much time. And so that's exactly what deadlifting a weight is like. Um, you can at first. You keep working out. Pretty soon what used to be heavy is light. And, and like the weights that I use, when I work out with my weights, they're, they're pretty easy. 
and anybody else comes over and says, oh, you work out with me? Yeah, I use these. And they go, usually they do that thing where they go to pick them up and do this. <laughs> like, stop. They can't get them off the ground. Because they don't realize. Because they see me pick them up and move them. But we're looking at, like, you know, 28, 30 years of developing strength to be able to move those weights the way that I move them. It's like that with mercy. Uh, mercy is like a muscle that we develop. And we become stronger and stronger and stronger. Hopefully that our character will, will eventually get to the level of Christ. Because if we do that, we will obtain. You understand, our eternal status as a recipient of mercy in eternity at the judgment will come from our ability to become strong and being merciful. And that's a blessing. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. We go to the next one, number six, childlikeness. Blessed are the pure in heart. But they shall see God. Now, as I looked at this, I thought about purity in heart. We know that man is not inherently pure because sin is in all of us. But I started thinking about how much Jesus said that for us to enter the kingdom of God, we have to become like a little child. He said, suffer the little children to come to me. And he put them in and he says, unless you become like this child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I started thinking about the purity of the heart of a child, and how they they don't they 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 just trust. Uh, they trust the man in the white van offering the chocolate bar as a stranger. Come here, little boy, I have chocolate for you. You know they'll go run out there and get in the van with this guy who means them harm because they just they don't think about it. You know there's a certain level of purity about them naturally. They're pure in heart. And it says, those that, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And they will be able to see God. Which means God will show Himself to them. How many of you want to see God? I want to see God, then you need to develop this characteristic of being pure in heart. Uh, right before I left to come back, the last thing I did before going to the airport is I took um, Pedro Vargas's grandchildren, being a, being a grandfather, of course, um, he had three of his little grandchildren there are so cute, uh, the eldest of which is named Stephen, because he was named after me. And so I'm, I took Stephen and little Pedro and, and these little guys, we took them to the, to the Walmart. Walmart is kind of like a giant or, um, or you know, one of these retail stores, these big retail stores. And of course there's a toy section. And we, I gave them each, uh, you know, 200 pesos, it's about $20, just enough that they could get a little toy. We had so much fun. And there was, they were so pure in heart. Simple little kids, so sweet, so kind. And I thought, man, that's exactly how we have to be uh, to see God. That, that kind of, that's how we, we approach. And pure in heart really it means uh, in attitude toward people. That, yeah, people are mean and cruel, but just don't look at it that way. And love them anyway. Um, learn how to to just keep a pure heart toward people, no matter how much goes wrong in life. And if you do so, you'll see God. God will manifest to you. Seeing God means the intimacy of relationship with Him. That you will grow close to Him. And you will have experience with Him. That if you're not, then... And of course, this is not talking about a natural purity. This is also living by the Spirit, learning to trust by His anointing. Amen? Number seven. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. A peacemaker would be like a cake maker. A cake maker makes a cake where there's no cake. 
So a peacemaker makes peace where there's no peace. Where there are broken situations, where there are relationships that are falling apart, where you're at odds with people, or by extension, you see people that are at odds with one another and you become a mediator to make peace. In a natural sense, like being in a food court and seeing two drunk uncles start to get into a fight. And you have an option to sit there and enjoy the show or get up and stand between them, which you take certain risks by doing that, don't you? Yeah. You might get hit. You might get hurt. Somehow inculcated. The police come and you're in a brawl. You're not. You stood up to stand between people. You stood in the gap to stand and bring peace between people who are estranged from one another. And that's the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Why is that? You know, those little children I was talking about was so funny. I also brought them to Starbucks and I fed them uh, cheesecake and frappuccinos and, um, you know, things they don't usually get to get. And I had a selfish motive. I was very much desperately ready for an espresso. And after a couple of weeks without, drinking mostly Nescafe, but um, when I, you know, finally I saw that Starbucks and I, hey guys, you want cheesecake? And I was drooling for espresso. So we went and, but I, but I was watching them interact with each other and I realized they look so much, in, I saw the same gestures and facial expressions as their grandfather, Pedro, who I'm very close with, and their father, Ulises. And I saw naturally how you can recognize a child by their parentage or the parents or the fathers of them. You, you know, it's very common that you'll see someone and they act and move and think and talk a lot like their father, even when they say they don't. Even when they decide, I never want to be like my father, but they pretty much are a lot like their father. It's a natural part of that. It's like us, if we really identify with our heavenly father, and do what He has done. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Romans. Because He made peace by sending Jesus as a sacrifice. If we decide to take that characteristic, develop it, become a peacemaker, of course starting in our own relationships, and that also tied to mercy. If we're merciful, that mercy will engender a peaceful situation between me and you. So blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Now, we have seen so far seven things here, and as we're considering all of these, we saw humility, that first one that we covered. We saw compassion. We saw the meek, which is control, strength under control. All these are the characteristics of Christ. And then we saw a hunger for what is good, goodness, thirst for righteousness. We want to do the right thing. Then we saw mercy, if we are merciful toward people, and then we saw being pure in heart, the childlike faith, and now finally being a peacemaker. Jesus mastered all of these. This is Jesus. And now for Jesus, for us to take up our cross and follow Him, become His disciple, it is us emulating these characteristics with all that we can, as much as it is possible, doing everything within our power to be like that. But of all of these, this last one we're about to see, I think would probably be the the most technical, but yet the most powerful of all the characteristics of Christ. And that without this last one, in fact, you can, you can mess up all of these. And if you have this last one, the ability to do this last one, all of these things will be covered by it. And the last one is number eight, endurance. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So here, persecution because of your stance, that is what you believe, your position concerning things, because of what you say, you can have persecution. You confess Christ openly. It can cause people to reject you. That's persecution for His sake. And then what you do, your actions, the way that you live, can become. you can suffer persecution because of this. And Jesus was saying that that is what He means by taking up the cross. We do not take up that cross. We will not have a reward for Him. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Um, Jesus was persecuted to extreme. Uh, they murdered Him. And so you're still alive in this room. You've not yet paid the price of Christ that He endured until the end. Now, part of this characteristic, how can you endure? Uh, I had a class today where a student asked me, um, what really am I looking forward to in heaven? Really? What am I doing there? That It was a really valid question. Like, you know, here on this planet I have my wife, I have my children, I have my life, I enjoy that. But I'm supposed to be very excited about what's coming. Uh, what am I doing there? You know, there's just questions about this. So we do, we have a motivation, of course, those that study the Word of God, we know that the rewards, the treasures there are greater than anything, cannot be compared with, with the things of this world. These things are not as important. Right there, there we have so many blessings. But the only way that we can enter that place is through this. Because only through much tribulation can we enter the kingdom. And Jesus demonstrated the ability to live under extreme persecution, even to the point of death, without stepping off course, without fulfilling what He was called to do. And the same thing applies to us. So the greatest characteristic of Christ is that endurance. Paul demonstrated this in his ministry. No matter what happened, no matter what he went through, he remained faithful to the call of God on his life. Uh, I see many ministers, I see many people decide to commit themselves to Christ and serve God, and they put their hands at the plow, but at one point or another they begin to look back. And the reason they look back is not because things were going so good and their ministries were so successful they just didn't feel like doing it anymore because they mastered it. No, quite the contrary. They suffered persecution because it's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. In this trip, talking with the pastors in the church, all of them have recently been through some hellish situations. Really hard things. Uh, all of them have been given opportunities to quit what they're doing for Christ. But yet all of them, to, to, I was so blessed to see, all of them are, have this endurance. They know. They have placed, as they, just like Jesus he counted it a small thing to endure the cross because he knew the, the, the glory which he would be glorified. And with his eyes set on that prize, he could go through anything. This characteristic depends upon that. That we set our eyes on a prize that is heavenly. Why am I living? Because eternity is forever. Time is a vapor. And a little bit that we do here, it's worth it. Just, just do it. This is your time to invest this is, um, this is buying Bitcoin at a dollar apiece. You know, and then knowing it will become thousands of dollars for each coin. Of course, I'm not literally saying buy Bitcoin. You know, I'm just saying. 
Imagine if you, I could bring you in a ground level investment scheme and I, I guarantee if you just invest for these few years then you will have a retirement a thousand times multiplied what you, what you give. You could dump everything into that. Well, how much more is what we put into the heavenly scheme of investment? We put our treasure in, up above. We put it in God. And persecution is the way that tests if we will really do that. And so these are the characteristics of Jesus. And this eternal reward of heaven comes from the mistreatment you endure for his sake. That's why it says, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations and trials. Why it says here, rejoice and be very glad. Exceeding glad. It means glad beyond gladness. Because why? Because great is your reward in heaven. You cannot even fathom the, the depths and height and weight of the reward that's waiting for us if we live these characteristics. So let's review these eight things we see. Eight areas of blessings in life. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Keep an attitude of humility. Number two, blessed are they that mourn. This is compassion. Uh, manifest compassion. Find compassion. Make yourself compassionate if you have to. What I've found, if you begin to think compassionate thoughts, you will have compassionate feelings. And keep in mind what Jesus was. Now, blessed are the meek. That is, the, the not always doing what you want to do. You have the strength and the power to do whatever you want to do. That's great, but don't do it for the benefit of other people. So that you can bless, that you can love. That's, that's, that's selflessness is connected to that meekness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Just being good. Being good and kind and nice. Listen to what people say about you. Um, we are not going to be able to please everybody all the time, but what if we are? What if we try to live a life that is courteous and kind and loving, and people, and we actually gain a reputation, especially from those on the outside looking at us, decide that's a good guy, that's a good woman. I really like them. They're just always so kind. They're so nice. Well, suddenly we're looking like Jesus, and Jesus was always kind and loving. The only time that he was not was when he was attacked by religion. And he just put things in order. He loved them. That's the reason why he said what he said. But we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Give mercy, whether it's solicited or not. Just be, just, just hand. If mercy were business cards, hand your card out to everybody. Just give it out to everybody. You know, every lift you walk into, every escalator you ride up, hand it to the people around you. Just mercy, mercy, mercy. Mercy. If, if you're going to sit down in the food court with your tray and that guy jumps in front of you and takes it before you get there, people cutting the queue, you know, just mercy, mercy, mercy in life, whatever you have a chance, and you will be shown mercy. So according to the measure that you measure it out. Uh, blessed, blessed are pure in heart. Be pure in heart. Think innocent thoughts. Try to think like a child thinks. Just blindly, a, a child will go, you can tell a child to do anything, they're just going to do it. Come with me. Okay, they don't know where they're going, they have no idea, they just obey. What if we can be like that for Christ? Jesus was with the Father. And blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, make peace with everybody around you, but also be a part of the mechanism that pacifies in relationships. Be the one that tries to reconcile and heal at all times. And number eight, blessed are they which are persecuted. Yep, count it joy. Rejoice in it. Amen? 
Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.